Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your presence here in this place and for the power of your Spirit who dwells in those who believe in your Son as their Savior. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would impress upon us today what you would have us learn and that our hearts and our necks would be softened so that we might receive that teaching. Lord, it's in your precious and holy Son's name that we pray. Amen. Turn to the book of Psalms. Just go to about the middle and just drop it open. Psalm 96 is where we're going to. You like that? (laughs) Psalm 96. We'll look at the whole psalm. Today is a Psalm Sunday, as as Wes mentioned. It's the fifth Sunday of a a month. So there's five Sundays in the month of, of April. And so what our pattern has been for the past like three years now, or two and a half or three years, something like that, is that on fifth Sundays we go to a psalm. And our goal is to examine or to, to observe the heart of the worshiper of God. Um, in, in the, the scriptures are, are, are varied, right? There's, there's places like Paul's writings in the New Testament that are, are, are just teaching, where he's, he's just literally telling us stuff and kind of directly giving us application into our own lives. There's places in the Old Testament where we can go where we'll read a story and we'll have to actually kind of think and, and compare to the rest of Scripture and, and try to understand places like the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where the author is not necessarily telling us this they did this and this was right, so do this, and they did this and this was wrong, so don't do that's it's not, you know, and, and then the Psalms are altogether different. They there are they are unique in that this is really the outpouring of a worshiper of God. Uh, we just get to observe it. We get to watch and what we then have to do is try to then apply it into our own lives and into our own hearts. So turn to uh, Psalm 96 this morning again, uh, and let's read. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His Marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth Rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes 
For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. So, a couple of weeks ago, I made a suggestion. Or I, I, I posed a thought. And this thought has been kind of reminiscing in my head since then. And so today, nicely, Psalm 96 gets me to share it with you. I said a couple weeks ago, and it, was, it wasn't the main point of what I was talking about, but, it, but I ended up talking about it for probably longer than I had planned, but that the, the most common commandment of Scripture is to raise God up to his rightful place. Now, one thing that I noticed this week is that it is very, very difficult to define or to to describe worship, praise, glory, honor, blessing, exaltation, this this concept, all these things, all these words that we give without using those words, right? It's really hard to explain worship without using the word worship because it is so much ingrained in who we are as humans, I think, that that we ultimately, we do this with everything, everything that we give value to. We're, we're, we're in essence placing it on a, on, a, on a hierarchy of important things. And the more important it is, the more time and effort and energy we put into it. And it's so much a part of who we are that it's really hard to explain or to, to define what we're doing by doing this. I hope that makes sense. But my, my suggestion is, is that more than any other commandment in Scripture, you can think of all the Ten Commandments. I, I should not have the Lord, or excuse me. Don't, don't have any other gods before me. No, no images. I'll just, I'll just give you a few because my mind just went blank. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. Right, right. We can think of the Ten Commandments and we go, okay, those are commandments that I recognize and that I've heard before. And I know that they're not just in the Ten Commandments, right? They're at least in the second time that the Ten Commandments are mentioned to us. They're, they're all over Scripture. We know this, right? Thou shalt not murder. We find, it all the, we find it all the time. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The people of Israel fail miserably at this over and over and over again. And God reminds them, stop having other gods, right? We know this. We know these commandments. But my suggestion is, more than any other commandment in Scripture, the command that we, his people, are to raise God up to his rightful place with our actions, with our words, with how we act, is the most common commandment in Scripture. Let's define a few words. Sort of. I'm just going to look at a couple of them. Worship. Worship is a word that, that I think... I think it's difficult because we sometimes misplace it. We think of it in our modern definition. Our modern definition, you turn in your Oxford Dictionary and you look up the word worship, and that means to ascribe worth to. Sort of. That's, that's sort of right. And that's essentially what we're doing when we're worshiping. We're ascribing worth to something. But, but every example of worship in the Old Testament comes from the word that we would say, uh, that, that we would say now as to prostrate, meaning to, to physically, with my body, make myself smaller 
than the person who I am, I am about to approach. Okay, so the, the most common example of this in the ancient world was when you entered into the court of a king or of an emperor. And depending on how big and important that person is in comparison to ourselves, depended on how low we got. Okay, the practice of prostrating oneself in front of somebody else or to, to make somebody as, as physically smaller than they are in comparison to the person's worth or importance compared to myself. So what, what the attempt was is you walk into the court of a king and say it's a, it's a king of a region and you're his vice king. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but let's pretend. You're going to come into that place, and you're an important person, and they're an important person. They're, they're more important, but you're, you're, you're not quite so far away. And so you're going to come in, and you're going to show some reverence. You're going to come in. You're going to bow your head. You might, you might say a few nice things, uh, you know, long live the king, but ultimately you're kind of on a relatively equal footing. But say you're a peasant, and you come into the presence of, of the emperor of Rome. You are going to come into the presence of the emperor of Rome. You're never going to turn your back. You're never going to make eye contact. And probably you're going to grovel in. You're going to come in face down on the ground. You are never going to raise your face from the earth because you recognize that this person is more important than you are. Now, I imagine there is at least a few of us in here who don't like what I just said. Because we live in a culture, watch this now, pay attention. We live in a culture that is being told by Satan that authority is bad. So much so that it is completely a normal, acceptable practice that in any situation where there is an authority figure, it is acceptable for us to speak ill of that person. I don't care what your, your political views are. I bet you at some point one of you has spoken ill of our president. And maybe he has a lot of things to be spoken ill about. But my point is, my point is, is that what Satan is doing is he is systematically, systematically attacking positions of authority so that as we think about the one person who has authority over all, God, the understanding of authority has diminished in a way that we don't like the words that we have used in the past to show our reverence. And so to think that I would enter into the presence, presence of our president, Donald Trump, and show him reverence, I would be thrashed by many people who even might support him. Not to mention all who don't. Now, I'm using Donald Trump as an example. Because he's not the most highly respectable person, as evidenced by many of the things that he's said and done. But the idea of a person of authority over me is where my respect must be. Because the minute we start to diminish this idea of authority in our lives is the minute we start to diminish the authority of God. And so when we talk about worship and we talk about what it means to to physically represent myself in the way that my status is in comparison to God, I can never question the truth and the validity 
of the distance. There is never a time when we have the right, for example, to come to God and to stand proudly as if we have some value in ourselves that God must adhere to, and in fact, maybe he should be paying homage to me. We don't have this right in ourselves. All of our prayers should be humble prayers, because God is infinitely, infinitely more worthy and valuable and good than I and you. You and I, excuse me, grammar. Worship. Physical action, showing myself to be smaller than the person that I am honoring, showing worth to in our English definition. How do we do this? Well, we do this in many ways. We do this when we clap the end of songs. Wes, very, very not really very occasionally, but from from time to time, Wes will remind us that, you know what? It's actually okay to give God a round of applause, right? I hope that whenever you guys clap, and and I know Wes has said this, but I hope when you guys clap after we finish the song, you're not clapping because we did a good job. Man, I hope that that's not the case. Because most of the time, we didn't do as good a job as we could have done, and God is still more important, as, as evidenced by the start of the second song, by the way, Thank you for pointing that out. Oh. See, we, we clap at the end of songs, or we clap in songs, right? Wes said, let's start with clapping. Let's clap together right now. Clap together, right? This can be an act of worship to God when we take that physical action and we direct it toward a God who is more important. Okay, you can be done now. I wouldn't be able to continue preaching it. Yeah, right Right then, right, exactly. Or as another example, we worship God. We worship God, meaning we physically show our worth to him or his worth to us by, by raising hands, right? In, in, in Second Peter, in first, Peter, first and Second Peter, one of the Peters, he, he says, raise up our holy hands to, to God. What he means by this is we, we show God exaltation by, by physically expressing our need and our desire for him and raising him up as if, I'm standing in front of him and I'm lifting him up. Right? We raise our hands. I preached a sermon about a year and a half or two years ago where I talked about how, how when, when, when Zane was little, he, he got real sick and he was in his bed and I came in. He raised his hand. He looked really pathetic. He raised his hand because when I walked in, he saw me and he said, you will be able to help me. That's what we do when we raise our hands to God. God, you can help me. Raising our hands. The physical act of showing God worth. And there's just literally an endless conversation that we could have about that. Then there's praise. Praise is a little bit different. Where worship, the word worship, in, in its essence, can mean a lot of things. But in its essence, it's about the physical reaction that we have to God. It's a physical thing. Now, I'm going to say praise is a vocal thing, and the reality is, is that's still a physical thing, but I hope you get my point as I try to differentiate the two. To praise God, we vocalize, or maybe better put, we audibleize our worship of God, our 
lifting God up to the place he would be. I keep saying this, lifting God up to the place he should be. And here's what I mean by this. Just everybody for just one second, picture the the cathedral, or not the cathedral, the Colosseum in Rome, the Roman Colosseum, right? Many of us have taken a history class or or, or anything, you, you, you've probably seen a picture. Anybody actually go to the Colosseum in Rome? I was hoping somebody would, would have said that. They did. Okay, but you all can picture it. Pretty much everybody. Maybe you can't, and that's okay. But picture something in your mind. You know, we, we think about it, and there's this part's kind of broken down, or, or maybe it's this part that's broken down. There's, there's some, some columns and some arches, and it's kind of some grayish brown. It's a little bit dirty, and there's probably some gates out front, people waiting to maybe get to go in. Or maybe you're picturing the inside, and the floor is gone. You can picture it, right? See, what we did is we took something that was, that was grand and large, and we brought it into our minds. How big is your mind? How big is your mind's eye? It's just right here. It's right, in our, it's right here. Here's the reality. You missed a lot of stuff about the Colosseum. Even if you're like a Colosseum expert, you missed some of the beauties or the intricacies or, or the magnificence of this particular... This is what we do with God all the time. We put God into a box. Now, sometimes we get really hard on ourselves about putting God into a box because, because we can't actually not do it. Because to think of an, into, an, an, an infinite, almighty creator, sustainer of the universe, it is impossible for our finite little teeny tiny specks of minds and brains to comprehend even a portion of him. And so what we do in praise and worship and glory and honor and blessing and exaltation is we make an attempt to at least break that boundary just a little bit and expand it a little bit more so that we raise God back to his rightful place. Now I said, most common commandment in scripture is to do this. And I think the reason is because at all times, we constantly continue to bring him back in. And if we are constantly combating this, constantly making God bigger and grander and more to his normal self, we better understand who we worship, who we glorify, who we honor. And the more we understand, the more we do. The more we do, the more we understand. So to physically worship God is is great. And then we are commanded to to audibly worship God with our words. Let me give you some numbers. Uh, A couple weeks ago I said that there there are 250 examples of the word praise being used in the Bible in direction towards God. In the book of Psalms alone, there are 165 examples of the word praise being used all, all 165 examples in Scripture are directed towards, or in, in the book of Psalms, are directed towards God. But of those 165, 92 of them are commands, direct commands to praise God. Okay, Praise the Lord. It gets repeated a lot in the, in the Psalms. Praise the Lord. That is a command to vocalize God's existence in comparison to man, to the people who are around us. 92 of the 165, that's more than half. But here's the other reality that we have to check. The other 73 
I think that's right, Matt, 73, are examples of description. I will praise. I will do this, right? I will praise God. I will sing praises. But, but like I said at the beginning, the Psalms are fundamentally different than everything else because the Psalms were originally written to be used in a worship setting. And so therefore, or in a, in a, in a praise and honor setting, so in the synagogue or in the temple, you would go and you would sing the Psalms. And so David, he writes a psalm and he says, I will praise the Lord because he has protected me. He has watched over me because he kept Saul from taking my life. Whatever the example might be, whatever psalm you're reading. But he wrote this and then gave it to the believers, the people of God. And then the people of God took his words, made them their own and set them to God. I will praise God. And so from David's perspective, he is giving us a command by giving us words to pray, to sing, to say. So again, my suggestion is, is there's 165 examples in the book of Psalms alone where we are commanded to praise God. Fifteen of those examples are attached to the word sing. Sing praises. Uh, in addition to, to the... 15 times it's sing praises. Sing is used 74 times. Give thanks is used 77 times. Extol is used 5. Bless is 18. Glory, glorify is 5. And exalt is 15. I didn't do the math on that, but that's a lot. That's just the book of Psalms. That doesn't, that doesn't count all the times when we are called to physical worship in a sacrifice given. Or, or the Old Testament people are, are called to give a sacrifice, make an incense offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Show him his, your thankfulness for his goodness. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again in Scripture, we are called to glorify, to raise God up to his rightful place. Now, we might then start to differentiate. Right? We might go, Okay, well, Wes, he can sing really well. So I bet you he's supposed to be the one to sing. And, and then, and like Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord with strings and harp and, and, loud, and clashing cymbals and loud clashing cymbals. I bet you people who play the drums or the guitar, they're the people who are supposed to do that and everybody else is supposed to not. Maybe they're just supposed to use their words. But let me ask you this. Do we differentiate between the Ten Commandments? Do we say, okay, well, there's more examples of God saying, don't have any other gods before me, so that must be for everybody. But the commandment to honor your father and mother is only for a select few people because it's only mentioned a couple times in Scripture. No, none of us think that. We all recognize whenever God gives us commandment, even if it's minimal in Scripture, we go, we probably should do this. So even if it's only 15 times in Scripture that we're commanded to sing praises to the Lord, uh-oh, here it comes. I think we're all, all who call themselves believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're all commanded to sing praises to God. Now, Let's, let's make one point clear. There is a difference between leading and congregation. There's a difference between congregation and in your car. Okay? 
Wes has the ability, because he has trained himself, has thought about this, he knows the difference between melody and harmony and, and fifths and all these things that, that I've been up here for five years with him, I still don't have any idea. He, sh- he should be in a position of leading us, and he should, in, h- in his leading, and he does this, he tries to develop us as a congregation to know more about music because we have this unique ability to worship God with song. But that doesn't mean that we don't sing, that we don't praise. In fact, you're wondering, uh, let's talk about the passage that we were reading today. Let's, let's see. sing to the Lord a new song. Isn't that wonderful? It's like Ryan wanted to say something and the Bible said, say it. Sing to the Lord a new song. What does he say next? He says, only those of you who think you can sing well. Now, and I'll just apologize right now for you. I know that I am not the greatest of singers. But there are times when Wes isn't here and I sing into the microphone. And in practice, I do my best to try to be better. But once we sing, I don't care what you think. Because I care about God. And I desire to worship Him with my voice. And sometimes I know that I'm not hitting the notes right. And you know what? What's great about you guys is you don't care. Because many of you also. But what's beautiful about that is that I know that because you still sing. That's a good thing. There should never be a moment when we go, you know what, I just can't do it. No, yes, you can. And not only can you, but you are commanded to. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Anybody not part of this earth? Anybody a, an alien? No, you're not. All the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Why do we do this? Because we're commanded to. How are we to do it? Or what are we to say? How are we to vocalize? We are to tell of God's goodness, of his attributes, and of his work of salvation. I've been, I've been on this this kick recently for about two months, and some of you have heard me give this spiel, where I've been, I've been reading through and praying the Psalms. It's been a very interesting endeavor for me. I've, I've read the Psalms significantly in my life, but never quite like this. The one thing that I've learned more than anything else is there is, there is I don't think, any Psalm that is in the book of Psalms that doesn't at some point give a foundation for the adoration of God that we are to give. Here, he says, declare his glory, his marvelous works, for great is the Lord. God is glorious, he is marvelous, and he has done great things and good things. And so therefore, our singing praises to God is not pointless. It's not just because it's a commandment, but because there is a foundation of who God is that is truly and only worthy of our singing. Here, let me, let me say this. If you're a really bad singer, the only thing that you need to sing is praises to God. You don't need to sing in a, in a high school choir. You don't need to sing in your car. But you do need to sing to praise God. 
because he is the only one who is worthy of your bad voice. Some of you in here are offended by now because you're like, I can actually sing very well. And you can. Some of you in here can. For all the gods, he says, he, says, uh, he, he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless lives. All he means by this is, it's not that there are other gods, but there are other things that we make God in front of God. And th- all those things are worthless. Your money is worthless. Your job is worthless. Your clothes are worthless. Everything about this world is worthless. That's what the author of, of Ecclesiastes is really getting at. It's everything about this world is vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's meaningless because at the end of your life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. Just like the rich person, just like the poor person, you're going to die. So what is there? God. God in his goodness, God in his glory, God in his honor. The only thing that we have that we take into eternity is God. And he is good, and he is great, and he is marvelous, and he is splendorous and majestic and strength and beauty are in his, in his sanctuary. We ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in his in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. I think that's something that we miss. Anybody, anybody tremble at the thought of God? I don't I don't know if if that's ever something that's a reality for me. Or at least it wasn't until I started reading through the Psalms really very regularly and insignificantly. Because there's this idea of 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 the God and, and just this huge. You ever see something? Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls, or somewhere where there is just something just gigantic and powerful, right? When, when Missy and I went to the, went to Niagara Falls a number of years ago, and and it's like this this force, and, and you go, nothing can actually stop that, and that's that's the terror of God. That he spoke and life existed. That this universe and all its intricacies and all its majesty and all its hugeness spins in existence because God went, let it be. That's the tremble that we should have. And the reality that as we come to him and worship and we, and we bow ourselves down at his presence, we realize that we are nothing because of our sin against him. And he is great. And yet he loves us. We fear and we tremble at the presence of God, not because we're afraid that he's going to bonk us on the head when we do something wrong, but because we recognize just how massive it is to think that the God of the universe who created and sustains all of this cares enough about you or I to send his son and to die on the cross. Do we tremble at the beauty of that? It's just a little bit more. He says, say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Then in verse 11 and 12, he describes something. He says, let the, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. And and then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let me tell you something. There is a, there is a song going on. 
God created this universe. He created great birds, can sing beautiful songs. Those songs are ingrained in them, and they sing them all day long, no matter what, because God is worthy to be praised. We are given the unique ability to recognize his goodness for us and to sing new songs back to him, to sing new melodies back to him, to sing new harmonies and, and fifths and all the fun words that we can learn about, about music. We are, we are uniquely gifted individuals to praise God in this very unique way. And God says, do it for me. Why? Because I will judge the peoples with iniquity. It says, for he comes... And he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God is the just judge of all the universe. And he is worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our adoration, of our ascribing, of our exaltation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you. I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your glory. Lord, we are going to sing some songs to you. We are feeble. We are small and insignificant in this vast universe, but you care about our words. Make them new in our hearts with this power of your spirit. Let them be real to us as we sing them to you with all of our hearts and all of our desires to glorify you and to lift your name to its rightful place of glory and honor. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for your son, Jesus, that he is the judge of all. And then when he came into this world, he came not to be the final judge at that moment, but be the judge that rescued and redeemed first, called into existence his who he has known from the very beginning. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your son, Jesus. And it's because of this good news, because of this great work of your son, Jesus, and his death and his resurrection, that we sing joy and praise to you.